BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need, all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast, all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Increase of Our Reality, I'd really appreciate it if you could drop a review or a rating and I'll give you a shout out on the show. While you're at it, come join the Telegram group and follow the show on Instagram and across social media. If you'd like to support the show, check me out over on Patreon for early access to Increase of Our Reality and Big Dumb Inquiries, which is the Swapcast show I co-host with Kyle Rainey of the Big Dumb Podcast. If you'd like to pick up some merch, come check out the merch store. If you want to help me out to upgrade my equipment and pump out even more awesome content for you guys, Come donate over on Anchor or Kofi. And last but not least, if anyone is interested in being a guest on the show, sponsoring the show, has a topic they want covered, or you feel you have something to contribute to the show, send me an email at increaseofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. All the links I mentioned are in the show description. Just tap or click the link tree link to be directed. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you, and I couldn't be doing this without you. Now enjoy the show. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Welcome to the now 16th episode of Inquiries of Our Reality. Today I have a very special guest from Hawaii. His name is Luma Matua, and he is the host of the Chant It Down podcast. How are you doing today, man? Hey, good. Thanks for having me on. So I guess good spot to start before we get into the conversation. Uh, why don't you tell people about your show and what you do? Okay, yeah. Um, well, I, I am the host of Chant It Down podcast, or Chant It Down radio as I call it. I've been doing it for nine years. Um, and it is a show into the truth. I am a true speaker, an activist, um, a lyricist, and I've done a lot of things that have been over the years into putting out the message of the truth, uh, actually since 1999. And 2013 was the year I started the podcast. But uh, I, I also am a truth philosopher, and I go into all the subjects out there pretty much. And um, I've been 
doing this a long time to help humanity understand the world that they live in. And I've been able to, um, you know, talk to a lot of interesting people and network with people like yourself. And it's been a great experience. It's a calling and it's an important thing that I do in my life. That's the truth of it too, man. It's a, it's definitely a calling. And once you start, you can't stop doing it because you almost feel like it's a uh, moral obligation to get the information out once you start learning it. Absolutely. It is. And the, the events that have happened in my life that at least have shown me that if I didn't speak this truth, because all this came to me, I didn't go looking for it, that I would be doing the wrong thing, like living my life in vain. So it was important for me to do this because if I didn't do this, why did all this information come my way? So that's why I'm doing it. And I'm sure that's similar reasons for you. Oh yeah. No matter what religion or wherever you come from, a lot of people believe that there's everything happens for a reason. It's intended to happen that way. So I feel like a lot of us podcasters definitely kind of fell into this place where all the pieces kind of fell together and we just all ran with it. And now look at us and how we're rolling. So you know, it's a great community to be involved in. And I always tell everybody that's thinking about starting a podcast, it's never going to happen unless you do it. So you guys just got to start doing it. And this community is definitely an accepting community and more than willing to help everybody who is interested in hopping into this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, and it is a, um, it is a growing thing. Like I've been able to be kind of a barometer of watching what podcasts did when I started. There was definitely podcasts, of course, but they weren't, um, there's a lot of new podcasts cropping up in the last couple of years that have, um, you know, it's people that feel the need to speak the truth. And it's really good to have more of us out there because I'm liking the majority, at least of the new podcasters out there that are bringing um, good shows. So there's more and more ways to find the truth. And it's, and it's important. It's um, it's, it's this time we're in and it's, forcing people to be have to speak about this stuff because no longer can you ignore it especially after uh covid and all that fun stuff it's just like that was the ultimate red pill for everybody is usually what i say but as far as this community goes it's definitely nice that there's variety within the community because you've got shows like legit bat who make it funny but they also red pill you a little bit you got some serious podcasts like the one-on-one podcast like there's a wide variety of people and a wide variety of different ways to get into this truth community so you know, people come in and you can't just expect that it's just going to be somebody sitting here like yelling information at you like Alex Jones style. There's there's a million different variations to it. That's right. And there's a lot of flavors. When I when I was um, getting into this information and everything, um, there wasn't many people to listen to. In fact, uh, not until 2008 did I find a group of people that were speaking the same information, kind of, that Alex Jones talks about or David Icke writes about, but it was through like a more of a grassroots thing. And I'm talking about people like Freeman. Freeman is a, a very good true speaker if no one knows who he is. Um, and Mark Passio and a few other people out there that really helped kind of furnish my perspective. And the, the, that showed me that the truth can be spoken with many different flavors and it doesn't have to be, I've never really been a fan of Alex Jones. I, I don't, you know, I don't hate him or anything. It's just not my, my flavor to want to digest. So there's many different ways to um, hear this information. Like you said, funny, serious in between, 
uh, you know, what I do is different than what you do. And that's what's great about it is someone can find something that resonates with them out there. And, and then you start listening to their friend. You're like, oh, that's a cool one, too. And it just goes on and on. And it really it really opens you up to so many perspectives and you get smarter, I think, listening to podcasts. That's what it comes down to, too. I don't know about for you, but at least for me. I got to a point where I listened to music all the time and I felt like I was just getting to the same repetitive stuff. And I was always into searching for this type of information because I was a kid when 9-11 happened and I was already kind of like, all right, everything's a little bit off with that. But yeah, there's a bunch of different flavors, a bunch of different methods. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Wicked Planet, but uh, Ron from Wicked Planet's been talking about how he wants to do a cooking show, but do it where while he's cooking, he also talks about uh, truth topics, different conspiracy topics. So then you can start getting other people into the community that would just be interested in a cooking show just by little pieces at a time. But it's like people like Alex Jones sometimes are like a little bit too much for people. They're a little bit too like in your face. So kind of, I don't want to say he gives a bad rap to the community by any means, but just uh, like, it's just a little bit too much for people. And that's what a lot of people associate with the truth community, just because he's been one of the forefront people that was on main TV doing this kind of stuff. So it's kind of nice to just to kind of gear it back and we kind of have this own com- our own community that's slowly building up. And it seems like it's becoming one of the biggest corners of the podcasting community for sure. Well, I think so, because this is the last frontier of uh, free speech, pretty much, is podcasting. I mean, there isn't many places left, and I'm surprised they didn't. And hopefully they don't, knock on wood, knock on wall, um, that they don't go after it. But, you know, this is where I'm hearing still great voices. And honestly, it's great because a podcast you can put on when you're cleaning the house or when you're, when you're doing your chores or driving around, I go into stores with my headphones on all the time because I really don't want to deal with the general public often. It's just, you know, it's like same old shit. So uh, for me, a podcast just lightens up my day and it's like, Oh, people speaking the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Cause I'm not getting that from the world that I'm walking around in. Yeah. So I guess going back a little bit, to something that I was saying, uh, yeah, like I was a truth seeker um, from the time I was young because I was around when 9-11 happened. I was like a small kid. So that was when I first started questioning everything. But I kind of got to a point where I was at work. I listened to just a lot of music. It started getting really repetitive. So I kind of had this whole idea that while I'm doing something else, I want to be able to learn with the time that I have. So that's when I, like I still listen to music here and there, but I definitely listen to podcasts more than anything. And I kind of feel like I waste my day if I don't listen to at least a podcast or a lecture or an audio book, just something. Because, you know, while you're working an eight, eight hour a day job and you're just doing manual labor or something like that, it's definitely gives you a different perspective where you feel like your day is different instead of just listening to the same music constantly. At least you get to learn new information. You got to get to keep up with everything that's going on. Yeah, that's good. Yes, it's good. When I, so I, one thing about my show, the, a lot of people kind of talk laugh about nowadays is because when I started, I joined blog talk radio. So I called my show Chan It Down Radio. So to me it was a radio show, but yes, it's a podcast, but I still by habit call it Chan It Down Radio. But well it doesn't really matter. It's one and the same interchangeable, but it's kind of funny because um uh it it's like the the name you used to listen to, you know, shows like say maybe um uh what's that one with george nori um something like that that was called a radio show but now it's called a podcast so but either way it's great because a podcast is portable and you can have it on your your device and move around and do whatever you're doing and listen to the truth and and digest things that 
you wouldn't get on any other way. So, and then at least you can pause it. You can continue listening to it later where like radio shows, you're kind of stuck listening to it right when it happens. But I mean, most of these guys that are uh, doing radio talk shows, it seems like they're still doing the radio talk show, but they're also uploading it into a podcast form. So there's still, it's the whole means is starting to switch over where even all these very famous radio hosts that were on big channels or on serious radio, all that, they're also slowly starting to come into podcasting. Cause it seems like it seems like it's the biggest growing community as far as talk shows goes. So it would almost be a dumb thing not to hop on it because nobody wants to sit and listen to uh, the radio station and have to, you know, go do something, miss a part, come back, not quite know what's happening, have to sit and listen for a second, kind of get a feel for back where you're at and then jump back into it. At least now you can like pause it. You can do whatever you want. You can listen to it in your own free time. It's definitely a nice, nice form of media. And I, I appreciate it more so than any other form of media. Cause I feel like it's just very authentic where a lot of podcasters don't even do editing on their audio afterwards because they just want it to sound like it's somebody sitting right in front of you having a conversation. But because of that, it's extremely uncentralized. So it's like the information you get, you know, that it's not being backed by somebody else, you know, pulling the strings. Anything that we're saying is our honest opinion and there's no other motives to it other than the fact that we're just trying to get information out that we seem we deem is something that people need to hear. Yeah. It's raw like that. And it's what's, it's, it's kind of nice to hear a conversation. There's many times where I've heard a conversation. I'm like, oh, I wish I was there. I'd, I'd tell them this too. And, you know, and, and that's inspiring in itself. And I think a lot of people like that. Um, it's nice to have interaction. So what the only thing that, that differs from what I do now and when I started is I did have callers on my show where nowadays I don't, I just record and upload, but um, there's, there's advantages to that. And, uh, so that's why some people I think do, live streams too, because you can get all the chat at least. See, I know hollow sky does that. If you've ever heard of their podcast, they do something called the hollow phone and they do like call in episodes where they do live and then they end up posting it later on. So it's still in that form of media, but they, they still do it as a live show so that at least there's more interaction from the people and they can experience it. And then, you know, if you didn't get a chance to do that right then, you can still listen to it later on and still kind of get the same feel. Okay, cool. But I guess, so uh, we can kind of get into some fun conversation here. I heard that you recently went to Egypt. I, I would love to hear about it. Okay, yeah. So um, I recently went to Egypt. Um, I am a, I'm a world traveler. I've always been curious about the world. And so I decided to go to Egypt because it's been on my bucket list. And I'm not, um, you know, um, jabbed. So it's where I could go without worries i mean you had to test to get there yeah but you didn't have to you know get the arm spear so anyway um i went there just in april and uh i got to check out all the sites that i've been thinking about for a long time i've been able to go other spots other megalithic places in the world and that's my main interest in going to a lot of these sites in the world is to check out the megalithic sites because if you talk to a lot of people in any place, whether it's Machu Picchu or Mexico or Egypt or Easter Island or whatever, they're going to tell you the history of that place, but they're not going to connect the dots into a bigger world that realizing that all these ancient sites were built in a time period that was long ago and the cultures that are there added to them. And so um, that would be the case with Egypt. So although I, I really am interested in Egyptian culture, uh, my, biggest, my biggest interest is looking at the, uh, this time in the world 
which I would believe is pre-Diluvian before the flood, before the, the different cataclysms that happen on this planet that would, um, that, that uh, wiped out humanity for the most part. There was, there was a, an advanced, highly technological civilization on this world. We don't know exactly what it was, but there's no way that these cultures, such as the Egyptians, could have carved these stones and moved them with copper chisels and pulleys and ropes. It's just completely ridiculous to think that. But the problem is, is academia, academia tells people that, and they, you know, people look up to academia as the almighty thing, so they will just believe it. But really digging deeper into it, you realize that these sites, such as the Great Pyramids of Giza, there's no fucking way that they could have put this thing together. We couldn't even do it today. And it's, it's mind-blowing. So it's important to go to these places if you can, because you get the feeling when you're there. You look up at this giant pyramid. You're looking at... a so many millions of blocks stacked together. I mean, the, the Great Pyramid is not four-sided, it's actually eight-sided. And there's just no way that you could do that with to, even today's technology. So what we're looking at is a older, more technologically advanced, more, um, more they, had, they had tools. You know, I've seen drill holes in stones some kind of drill saw marks. So they actually had tools. I'm not saying it was aliens, but maybe they got this, this um, advanced knowledge from something off world and it's very possible. But looking at these places has always been a fascination with me. So I went to Egypt with that in mind. Of course, my wife went, we had other things going on too. And so there, it wasn't just that on the trip. But what I did is I took a ton of footage and my idea is I'm going to make a documentary on these sites in Egypt to help open up people's minds to a bigger world that once existed on this planet. So I definitely love to check that out when you do drop it. But uh, one particular thing I wanted to comment on is uh, I've noticed that there's definitely a lot of very big openings in Egypt. And I've heard a lot of different stories about there possibly being like giants in Egypt. And I know that on one of your recent podcasts, I don't remember exactly the name of the place, but you're talking about the the twelve foot sarcophagus, um, yeah. I mean, just just stuff like that. You kind of can put the pieces together, and there's no reason why they would have been making that big. That's something that big for a standard sized person. So it's just a questionable site. And there's a lot of different places in Egypt that they're slowly starting to show to the public, but they've known about for so long. It almost seems like they're trying to get any piece of information out before they started letting people into these places so that they didn't have any surprises of somebody noticing something they weren't supposed to notice. Or even just talking about the, uh, the whole theory about there being a hall of records underneath the Sphinx's foot, but the Egyptian government won't let anybody even try to check it out, even though they know that there is some type of an opening there. Um, it, it's just questionable, you know? Like, no, nobody seems to want to question these kinds of things. And a lot of the other issue, too, as far as Egyptologists go, is that a lot of people will come up with a theory and they'll run with that theory for so long that they don't want to be discredited for that theory because it's almost like their name is getting taken out of history if everything that they came up with ends up being false. So you just end up pushing this narrative unintentionally, just trying not to discredit your own work, where even if you know you're completely wrong, people will still sit there and try to push their information. 
And even just looking at the types of tools that they claim that they use, if people have tried it and have proven that those tools would break, it's impossible. Or even the fact that they said they're bringing these giant stones on boats, like there's no way that would happen. The boat would sink with something that big on it. But it's just little things that people just don't think, think to question. That's right. I mean, that even goes with the theory of evolution. It's still a theory, but people have put it into um, modern day academia for so long that it becomes, uh, it, it became the so-called truth. But going back to what you're saying about giants, and that's an important thing that um, I really looked into too, is there's a lot of doorways in these sites, whether it's Machu Picchu, Saxe, Oman, or uh, places in, in Egypt, I saw there's massive doorways and you know, what, what's the need for that? Or you look at a, 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 some hieroglyphs and you'll see one of the so-called gods or the, the uh, elites much larger than the regular people. Uh, the, um, the statues called the Colossi of Memnon are giant, I don't know, maybe like 40 or 50 foot statues that were carved out of one solid piece of rock. And if you go up to them, there's the giant sitting on these thrones and next to them is a little person, you know? So, so they're kind of showing you something. And Egypt has a period of time called Zeptepi. It's known as the first time. It's a period of time when the gods walk the earth. And this is on what's called the papyrus of Tehran. It's Egypt's pre-dynastic period before the dynasties of Egypt. It's, and so apparently what was is the pr primordial gods reign over Egypt for 20,000 years. And then what happened is the demigods, the followers of Horus, we get the word Horus from Horus is a, a word we use in our daily language. We don't even realize it. Like that's where the word horizon comes from Horus or hours like hours in a day Horus. And so we get this, um, these demigods and I can link that to my, the own culture here, Hawaiian culture, Hawaiians had demigods too. And they acted as if they were real people and generally they were possibly bigger. So the, the, so we had the primordial gods in Egypt for 20,000 years, this, then the demigods, the followers of Horus, and then you have the regular mortal humans. And so this pre-dynastic period is what we're talking about here. It's a time when possibly giants walked the earth. I mean, it says in the Bible, it talks about giants, and you can connect this with so many things. So if you know, a lot of people have a hard time believing in this kind of stuff. I mean, not in this community, but uh, in the regular world, because, well, we would know about it, right? They would have told us. But the thing is, is like our world's been cleansed. It's been sanitized, or you could say um, qu quarantined off from this, this knowledge of our ancient past and our origins and so you can connect this to so many other cultures, the Sumerians, especially the Anunnaki gods, the, uh, the, um, the Mahabharata, and uh, another um, text I can't think of, not the Bhagavad Gita, but texts in, in India. These, the oldest writings in the world are telling us things, and why would they waste it on myth? I mean, they had a way of telling us things in these things, whether these texts, whether it was so they could teach their people, whether it was kind of poetic or, or like kind of like a song almost, but there's no reason why they would waste 
writing when most people didn't even write on giants and gods and things. So it's speculated that these gods walked the earth till about a thousand BC. And then for some reason or another, they left. And with that is a whole set of history that's been quarantined. Actually, I hate saying that word now, but you know what I'm saying. It's been sanitized from our entire existence. So we just think that we evolved from some apes and that we're just some matter that came together that mechanically just somehow made life. It's it's absurd when you think about it. And I did a show recently, a two-part series, where did humans come from? And that gets into that a whole lot. But just not to get off too much topic, these giants, as you mentioned, is an important thing that is, is showing us that the, the earth was was uh, populated by possibly many different beings as you can get into other people's research uh, about elongated skulls about um uh you know the different gods that they describe with red hair you know it goes on and on but what you're saying is definitely something was much this earth was much more than any of us knows about talking about what you said too uh they reference it in uh, the Book of Enoch, too. That's another thing that they pulled out from religious texts, but all of that talks about, like, giants and, and creating Nephilim. And then even you go back to the Sumerians, and they, the epic of Gilgamesh, the way that they described Gilgamesh, he would have been a giant, and they referenced the Great Flood within that, too. So that's another thing that's, like, they weren't just taking the time just to write some fantasy story. Even if it was partly fantasy, they're trying to put facts in it, I feel, to be able to be remembered later on and it just kind of got translated farther on as people started doing it as a story. And even in the early like 1900s, there used to be a lot of uh, giant skeletons found. And then the Smithsonian pretty much and not like got rid of any of it, where nobody can find any of it. But if you look on, uh, there's a website I like to use. It's called Chronicling America. You can find all these old newspaper articles that go back to like 1901 or something like that. And you find a bunch of different stuff, a bunch of different archaeologists finding giant skeletons but it's all just been hidden from the mainstream because it's one of those things that I feel that there's a bunch of different variations of an animal and we weren't any different and we just happen to be the best adapted version of that animal. So all these other variations of humans probably just died off over the years or another possibility that I like to look into is the fact that um, possibly that missing link in the DNA where we went from primates to more human-like could even be something like Anunnaki DNA and they just kind of use Anunnaki as like a, like a basic term, but I feel like a lot of these different ancient cultures just had different words for the same thing, and we're looking at them like they're all these different things, but realistically, they could all be the same thing. Like, I usually like to um, look into the fact that I feel like angels may have actually been Anunnaki that they just gave a different name to because the way that they describe them, they're, you know, hu big human-like creatures with wings, which that would be what the depictions of the Anunnaki are. So, I mean, it's, it's a close relation and it's just nobody really like sits there long enough to start putting the information together. And a lot of people, when they start getting into this stuff, they kind of start feeling like they're a little bit crazy, so to speak. So they stop wanting to dig into the information because they don't want to be shunned by everybody else in their community. And especially in the archaeologist community, like as soon as somebody starts talking out about this kind of stuff, they get blacklisted from the rest of the community. So it's almost like a scary thing that you spend all this time and effort to get your degrees and all that. 
And all it takes is you start talking about the wrong topic or getting into the wrong topic and you can be completely discredited for everything you work to do, even though you have solid evidence and fact of these things actually existing at one point. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It, they, they, they blacklist people. Um, they, they think you're absurd because the almighty academia, which was funded by the Rockefellers, by the way, the whole entire school system is, is all we're supposed to know. And back to what you were saying too about it's the same story told in different cultures one that's been popping up lately a lot in my personal life i don't know why but is the zulu legend of uh the two brothers they were uh wawani and mapanku and what they they were was these beings who supposedly came here in the moon they emptied out the moon stole it from a fire dragon and brought it onto the near the earth where it is now, which supposedly tilted the earth to its 23 degrees axis. So um, that would have caused a cataclysm. And so um, there's a lot of stories about also across the world, the moon coming into our existence. And these people, these brothers, you could, you could definitely compare to Enki uh, and Enlil. They apparently had scaly skin. And so they rolled this, this moon, which is not really what we think it is across the universe and created a disaster. And that's why you have possibly a whole mess of planets in our solar system. Even you could, you could maybe say the asteroid belt could be, be from that. I don't know. Uh, or that's why Saturn's on its side, but something disrupted our universe a long ago. And apparently in the Zulu legend, the, there used to be a canopy of water around the earth and there were no seasons because the earth was straight up on its axis and it just constantly kind of misted all day. But when these two brothers came in with this moon, um, it broke the water canopy and that's what created the great flood because it fell to the earth. And also another thing that's interesting about that too is um, they say in the legends that there was no glare from the sun. And if you think about people on the earth, animals don't, don't shy from the sun like that. They don't squint in the sun. Only humans do that. So something happened to where we're not adapted. And that could be from our ancient origins, because I do believe that part of us are part of these quote unquote gods. And if you look into the work of Lloyd Pye, he's a great person to look into because he propagates the theory that the Anunnaki's, these beings, came here, saw a more primitive human, which could have been actually, may sound kind of crazy, Bigfoot, and they, they put the genes together to make a slave race. My thinking on that, though, personally, is that I, I think that is possible, but I don't feel like humans are meant to be a slave race. We have so much divinity in us that I don't think that we're just these slaves. There's much more to that to me. And maybe it's because we're maybe two thirds Anunnaki. We're more God than, than being on earth, but we're definitely the only species on earth that's not adapted to it. Yeah, that is very true. And we just pulled away from nature the farther we get along with it too, where uh, every animal, for example, knows when it's gonna rain, but people lost that ability. So, cause we got so used to looking up weather maps and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's just been a large pull away from nature. But I feel like because of that, the powers that be, whoever they may be, are doing it intentionally because then you have to resort on a higher power in order to take care of yourself. 
And that's kind of what we're falling into with the world now is that everybody relies on, you know, big brother to take care of them instead of being able to fend for themselves because they've scared people away from nature and from the woods and from these spiritual ways of thinking and all these possibilities of all these ancient people and the things they're talking about being facts. But looking at just other pictures that ancient people would draw, they would draw things that they saw. So like you were saying with the whole, why would they spend the time writing it out if it wasn't something true? Same thing that goes with like their depictions and paintings and cave dwellings, all that kind of stuff is why would they just be making stuff up? And if they did make stuff up, why would it be spanned across all these ancient civilizations that would have had no contact with each other? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And yeah, and the cave drawings are a, a good one to bring up, as well as the uh, the geoglyphs. Uh, there's a few all over the earth. I mean, mainly the Nazca lines, but also the Blythe Intaglios, which are in California. I saw those. There's no reason to make them because you can't see them from the ground. You have to be up high to actually see those things. And another thing is I've, I've done a road trip a few years ago. I did a show on it about... Um, about uh, the Southwest deserts in the United States. And I went, to, I went to different places where Native Americans had drawn, not humans, but completely different looking creatures on the wall. And okay, I, I'll buy the, maybe that they did take psychedelics and they decided to draw these things, I, I suppose. But I, I feel like something happened there because these are places with no water. There's no reason for someone to go there and do that in that specific spot and why right there where there's no water even near there. So I feel like there was something to that to give them the idea to want to draw these crazy looking creatures or beings or whatever they are on these walls. See, I think it's definitely a possibility too that like we we're talking back to earlier that there's just a bunch of different races of possibly different things that did or didn't inhabit the earth. And uh, just things died out over time. Things kind of found their own subsections in earth. So I'm a firm believer in like hollow earth as being a possibility. So I feel like there's a possibility that a lot of these different races may have went underground during these cataclysms that happened. Um, and they just adapted to be underground because according to, what was it? The, the Egyptian priest, when you go into like the Atlant um, Atlantis legends, they say that there was seven great cataclysms that restarted humanity. And uh, there's supposed to be three halls, three hall of records hidden somewhere in the world. And like my belief on it is one, I think one's underneath the Sphinx's foot. Two, one was the Library of Alexandria, which I don't think actually got destroyed. I think it all got moved into the Vatican, if I'm being honest with you. And then there still must be a third one out there. But my belief on it is that there's a possibility that these like elitists or reptilians, as people call them, um, may have found that. And that's why they have all this weird knowledge that nobody seems to know about, like worshiping Saturn and all these other different things. Yeah, it's just... I feel like there's just a lot of information out there that is set in stone fact, and then we just can't get access to it. And that's why the Egyptian government's so adamant about keeping what's underneath the Sphinx's foot a secret, because they've let everybody explore every possible area of all these different areas, but they, for whatever reason, won't let anybody check that out. And I feel like there's definitely a lot more hidden in the desert around the pyramids, because there, I was reading something recently that said that they believe that that was the cradle of life, where that whole entire desert at one point was just full of life. So considering how much stuff we're still finding in the sand, uh, I think that there's a lot of human history hidden beneath the sand in that area. And it may be a long time before we discover it, but maybe that's a good spot to start, to uh, start being able to set a lot of these things in stone. And hopefully by the time that we get to that point, maybe academia will slowly start to move into 
accepting alternative ideas as the older generations kind of fade out as far as that goes and these younger people come in because the younger people are the ones that are into these alternative topics so maybe in like 20 years from now when there's not as much push away from that maybe we can start getting more into that information yeah well i would hope so but i'm pretty sure the elites they don't want this out and as long as they can be in control they're gonna they're gonna keep us in what that what they want us to be in which is this world that's been sanitized from the older world and hidden all this stuff and of course they probably don't think now that humanity can handle it so that's another thing but i think i think um it would really just it would expand people's minds and it'd be a great thing if they did but um you were talking about in egypt you know when I was there, I'm looking at the, the Sphinx and you can't go, there's an enclosure and you can't go in it unless you pay a, a shitload of money, um, which I don't have. And then, you know, you'd have to be a big group, but um, under the Sphinx's paws or next to them is a wooden platform. It doesn't need to be there, but I think it's covering an opening to underneath the Sphinx's paw or paws. And there's also an opening on the backside of the Sphinx too. Uh, if you go to the rear of it, it's to the left of its butt, there is a hole and Brian Forster and somebody went down it and there's a, there's a hole with a ladder and then there's, there's caverns and you could go in it, but they couldn't go in there, you know? But that means the thing's hollow. I think the whole Giza Plateau is hollow. I think there's an underground area there because the the shaft of osiris goes down so many layers till you hit water and it, i think you can still go down further but they haven't yet so um we're looking at a place that was possibly used to shelter people during a cataclysm or another another theory out there too is that these things these pyramids were for a function rather than for um, looks they were for possibly and i would believe some type of energy device or something like that because um when you go inside them i went inside the second pyramid which has the capstone on it still and there's absolutely no hieroglyphs in there and you think well this is a very important monument wouldn't the egyptians have wanted to you know write on the walls and everything so it was for form and function rather than for uh, looks. And so I believe that this whole area has a lot of power to it, as some people have lined up uh, with rubber Bavals lined it up with the, the stars of Orion, as well as the um, pyramids in Mexico, the uh, tail Teotihuacan. And so there's a lot more that we just don't know. But I can tell you for certain that underneath the Giza Plateau is a whole network of things that I just wish I could go check out. Yeah, that just kind of furthers my idea about people in different species possibly living underground too. And a lot of these ancient people, especially like the Mayans, when they're asked like, like who, who, who built this stuff, they said it was already here. So who's to say it wasn't the same for Egypt where there may have been a different race that was around before the, the cataclysms and humans went underground, came back up and kind of just took over these areas. And we're looking at it like they were these were the original people in these areas when that may not have been the case at all, even with Egypt. Um, I feel like it's, it, they keep figuring out that it's older than they ever assumed that it was. They started finding water erosion on the bottom of the Sphinx and just a bunch of different information. Um, at this point, 
I'm a firm believer that I don't think any of it was necessarily built by, I don't want to say not by people, but not by people as we know people. Like even the possibility of there being giants would have definitely make more sense on how they were able to build all these giant things. And just because we see ourselves as advanced because we have technology doesn't mean that ancient races weren't advanced in other things. Like we, we spent all of our time trying to figure out electronics. That doesn't mean that they didn't spend all their time trying to figure out how to like work with stone, for example. And they could know more about stone than we do in the aspect of like certain stones being able to hold information. And it's just a whole other method of thinking that just because we're so far into this electronic future, we don't go back to that whole concept that there's a lot of possibilities that could be done within rocks themselves. And maybe that there's ancient people that had a totally different understanding of how to work with these materials than we do. And that's why we can't recreate these things that they did is because they had different types of technology that we don't even understand existed because we've never spent time and effort to actually figure out how to do these things ourselves. Yeah. Yep. And, and the, the, um, the areas that these, these, uh, these cultures too, if you think about, they, they built everything out of stone. Well, that's the stuff that would last through a cataclysm. So we don't know what they had during those times that was less uh, durable, that broke down over time because all this stuff is a lot older than we suspect. A lot of people put it around 12,000 years ago that there was a cataclysm. And if that wiped out what was here, then all that would really be left would be stone. And that's why these evil elites made the... Um, the Georgia Guidestones, because they will last. Well, they think they will last. I hope people blow them up. But, you know, <laughs> the, the thing is, or, you know, whatever they can, melt them. Um, but uh, that's their thinking, I think, is that all this stuff lasted a lot longer because it's made of stone, the hardest material we know of on the planet, besides maybe some metals, actually stone, you know, diamonds. Yeah. Say, so, And it's been here since the beginning of time, or so far as, like, Earth's been around. So there's no way to date when the stones were made into something else because even if you found a way to be able to tell how old the stone is that still wouldn't tell you when the stone was used to build this specific item so you just kind of get lost in translation and i feel like there's it's something that we'll never figure out until we figure out time travel for example because you can't all the information has been so far destroyed that either we're going to discover some kind of hall of records that explains everything, or we're going to have to wait till the day where people somehow possibly are able to invent time travel to actually be able to go back to these sites when things were happening to understand how old they are. But even doing that, I mean, you could go back in time, like we are saying, and go back to the start of the Egyptians and realize that the Egyptians just wandered up and was like, Hey, here's, here's a place that we can, we can call home now. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because these these sites all over the world, whether it was the Egyptians or the Incas or the uh, the Polynesians and Easter Island or uh, the Mayans um, or the the people now in Mexico found these sites, they added onto them, and their work was much more more uh, crude. It was much more not ha it was half ass. You know, you'll see like these huge megalithic stones at places like Machu Picchu and then these smaller little stones stacked up and they don't even look very nice, but they're there because they, the, that was the Incas trying to, you know, um, add on or, you know, build or whatever they needed to do. So you can definitely tell there was two different ways of, of um, well, architecture or stone building and these secondary cultures merely just found these spots and use them for what they were. There are sarcophaguses in the pyramids, but you can see that the stone that they used is different 
than the bigger stone that's surrounding you in the pyramid. So uh, plus these, it's another thing about a lot of these sites, whether it's Stonehenge in England or the pyramids of Giza is not only did they do these miraculous things with these stones, they didn't build a, these things where they quarried them. In some cases with the great pyramids, all the pyramids, they brought the casing stones all the way from 600 miles away in Aswan. Why? Or those stones in, in uh, Stonehenge, they brought those, um, some of the stones, I think it's the Sarsen stones or is it the blue stones? One of the two they brought from Wales. So it's like, why, why not just build it right there in the quarry? Well, they, there, there's a reason, there's energetic reasons they have because these are all on, as you know, ley lines and things on the planet that, that ha have an energy function that really we don't know anything about. And until we can break into the Vatican Library and someone can actually read this, which, you know, I certainly couldn't read whatever they wrote anyway, someone would be able to help, uh, you know, find out what actually happened on this planet. Hopefully, hopefully. So going into another fun topic, now that you brought it up, uh, what's your opinion on Easter Island? Because I feel like that one is probably one of the weirdest ones, even weirder than Egypt, because it's in the middle of the ocean where there's nothing close to it where people could have gotten there. And then there's these giant structures that were built and they thought that they were only so big until they started recently excavating them and realized they're way taller than they used to be. And you wouldn't be able to just half bury these types of things. So I feel like it actually links into another possible cataclysm, even if it was the Great Flood, where a lot of this material, be it dirt, mud, all that, was able to build up, like, however, however tall it was, like 40 feet deep into the ground. Uh, like, th that means that there's definitely a starting point where it was way lower than that. So that whole island could be covered in even more artifacts that we don't even know about because it's buried underneath a bunch of dirt. And it's so far gone now that there's ground over it. Like people wouldn't even think of where they would even start to dig to find some weird stuff over there. But going back to it, what, what, what's your what's your opinion on Easter Island? What do you what do you think is the the story behind it? Well, I I definitely don't think it was the Polynesians that found Easter Island. Polynesians, um, I I think are a later culture there. Um, why I think that too is because well they don't know how they they got there these these statues, but. Also, if you just look at the statues, those aren't Polynesians. Um, I have a little bit of Polynesian in my family, and I, I can say that just even though I look like a white guy. But, but you know, anyway, my mother's British. So what can I do? So, but their ears are different, too. Their ears are, these are, and their noses are different than Polynesians. So, um, anyway, uh, that's one thing. The statues don't look like Polynesian people. Um, and another thing is you also will find I think I have not been there, but uh, some more crude, like copycat stuff that the Polynesians tried to do, which was never nowhere near as good and perfect as these other stones. It's really a weird place because it's so isolated and it's a very small island. I mean, I live on an island that's quite a bit bigger than Easter Island, I believe. Um, it's a weird place because why there? And we just don't know enough but I feel like it had to do with some kind of trade route between there and South America. There, there might've, the people that constructed that might've been the same people that constructed, um, you know, uh, Machu Picchu and, uh, and in Bolivia, uh, Puma Punku and, and Tiwanaku and stuff, because um, they, they all kind of have some similarities if you kind of look at them, but 
you know, Easter Island is a, is a big mystery. Uh, I, I do plan to go there someday. I hope to, um, it's not that far from me compared to most people. I mean, so, you know, fingers crossed, might go there someday, you know. And then what's, uh, what's your opinion on Stonehenge too, since we brought that one up? Yeah, well, I think it is a place that had some kind of energetic value for sure. Um, they say there were many more rings around it. And what we have there today is just part of the rings and some of it's even reconstructed. So, um, you know, I'm not one to go with the, some of the more far out there theories that it was a landing spot for aliens. I don't feel like an, a, something coming into this earth with such high technology would even need a landing spot for something, but maybe the gods came there and that's something that they did. But I really don't know. I've never been there. I was supposed to go there in 2020 and then 2020 happened. And then I don't know, but um, I would love to go there. I just, I just see it as a, a place of energetic uh, value. And I know the Druids still go there. Are they the original people that were there? Probably not, but they have their own, uh, you know, ways of, of um, you know, probably working with this energy what is interesting about Stonehenge is it's not very far away from where all those crop circles form in England. And you've got to wonder, I've looked into the crop circle thing enough and sure there are people that do them, actual humans, but some of them, there's just no way that someone could do something that elaborate. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of levels of that one. Uh, uh, we can, you know, that that's another rabbit hole, but there's a lot of levels I went down. Like I went for a while thinking, Oh, okay. I guess it is just humans. And then I'm realizing, realizing that I'm, I'm reading disinformation. And then I was like, no, it's not aliens. But some, what, some of me came up with the concept that maybe it's something from space, like some kind of, uh, I'm not going to say laser, but some kind of energy that they beaming down from something that is folding these stems perfect. I'm, I don't know. I'm, there are so many possibilities of that. But anyway, back to Stonehenge that area, that whole area has some kind of energy and it's all pretty much in the same area. So there's something there for sure. And it makes you wonder too, why Greenwich Mean Time come, is the time that starts the, is, is, the, is the perfect 12. Like it's, you know, that's where they started time keeping is, is, is in England. So you gotta wonder about that in, 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 in conjunction with Stonehenge. Very true. So now that you brought it up, uh, I know that you said you're recently doing some UFO research. Would you like to share some of that information with us? Oh, sure. Well, um, so I was on a show in January with um, Mark Palmer Steves, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And the next day, so I was talking about my UFO story that I had in about the year 2000. And then the next day, I'm a, I'm I'm a, decided to go for a hike, and I looked up, and there's a UFO right there, blinking in just still. It was going, and I did a video on it. I have a, a YouTube channel called Truth Filled Trajectory, and that's where I do my videos, which is a separate show to my podcast. I don't get on there and do a lot, but um, I did a video on it, and you can check out what I'm talking about because talking about it is one thing and seeing it as another. But what's interesting 
is um, so what happened the next day is um, I or, or so I, I did I saw that I made the video and then uh, not the next day but like the next month the there was reports on UFOs here and so they actually scrambled jets on the island of Kauai because they saw a UFO and then they figured out it's a weather balloon. So then they released these. So then they, on the news, they said, if you see something in the sky, it's just weather balloons. So I was like, weather balloons? So then sure enough, I'm talking to my neighbors. So this is a month after my UFO sighting, after that I did that show. I'm talking to my neighbors. I'm looking up, I'm like, whoa, what, what the hell is that? And they're like, I don't know. So we start taking photos of it. And um, I got the highest powered camera that I own. And then I zoomed into it and I still couldn't really tell what it was. So then I went online and looked at pictures of the weather balloons and it actually was a weather balloon. And there were these two of them and they were not the same as what I saw in the, in the air about a month earlier. So what happened there is I'm thinking that the powers that be here saw a, a UFO indeed did come here and they're, ex they're putting out these decoys, these weather balloons as a way of showing people, oh yeah, that's just weather balloons. Don't even worry about it. Why weather balloons now too, by the way, anyway, we, what do we even need them for? Don't we have better technology? So, um, so there was that. And that, that was kind of interesting. I figured, yeah, that's the cover up the weather balloons. It's always that. Yeah, it always is. And it's always has been uh -huh, since um, Roswell, even weather balloons. So um, about I don't know the timeline exactly now, but after that, a ways. See, I bought these chairs. They are folding chairs. I call gravity chairs. So you can lay all the way back and look at the stars. So I've been doing that with my wife. We've been looking up and we've been seeing all kinds of crazy anomalies that couldn't be satellites. You know, there's satellites and then there's other things up there. Um, but one night went for a walk and we were kind of discouraged. This was still when COVID stuff was really still, you know, there's so many, um, uh, so much uh, restrictions still here, especially in Hawaii, who just doesn't want to let it go. So uh, we were feeling kind of discouraged. Like, are we ever going to, you know, travel and get out of here? Well, we saw this um, star coming. Or, or I thought, oh, it's a helicopter. Don't even think about it. And and my wife was like, no, I don't think it is. I'm like, yeah, that's a helicopter. And then it got closer and closer. And the more we looked at it, it wasn't anything blinking. It was just this bright star moving. And it was a lot more, um, it wasn't at star level at all. You know, it was a lot more low. It was in our atmosphere. And I, we looked over at it. And as it passed over our heads, it expanded at us like it acknowledged our presence. I got it on video, but a phone video at night sucks, but it happened. And so there was that. So then I went, this was probably about two weeks later, I went to um, California and I was visiting some family that's over there. And I got up really early to get to my flight. And I looked up in the sky and I said, okay, well, that's probably not a plane, but I'm always looking at the sky. I'm like, is that a plane? Maybe it's just a plane coming. It took forever and ever. So I finally pulled over in my rental car, got out, and I took video. And this thing was like maybe, a, you know, 
I don't know how to explain it, maybe like a small city in the, in the air, really small because it was far away, but it was just there and it wasn't a plane, you know, and things don't just hover and stay there. So I got that video too, but it's shitty, you know, because it's a night and it's my camera my, for my phone, but that's all happened since January of this year. Now we're in May. So it's a very active year for UFOs. And, you know, I'm willing to say it's humans that are in these things too, that I know we have more technology or they do than we're led on to believe, but that's been the last, what, four months. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy. I, I don't know. So I'm just keeping my eyes in the sky. Are you familiar with uh, what I believe it's called Project Bluebeam? Yes. I feel like there's been a lot of UFO, uh, a lot of people seeing UFOs, and I feel like it might be linked to that because I've seen a lot of different videos of military personnel uh, speaking out about how they're going to stage this false invasion in order to make everybody unite as one so that they can basically form like a new world order type of concept, which even just using that wording it was conspiracy theory forever. And now you hear mainstream media using the term new world order constantly. Like it's just been slowly slipped in and people aren't even questioning it anymore, but there's definitely a lot of weirdness to it. And I feel like uh, if UFOs and aliens are real, that their technology of course would advance way beyond ours. And if they were referring to using like spaceships back on, back in like Egypt and all the, and all these different hieroglyphs, um, then at this point, it's been thousands of years later, uh, they could, could be using a totally different means of transportation. And all of these different UFO settings we were seeing could just be people starting to try to figure out that technology for ourselves now, years and years later. Because I always say that the governments are 30 years above normal citizens as far as technology goes. Like they had cell phones back probably in like the, the 80s if you were like a high enough member of the government. So it's all just hidden hidden information and i feel like we'll never fully understand it unless we are able to expose everything the government's doing in real time but that's that's not very probable of that actually happening <laughs> no so compartmentalized and everything but um like i said they they um they they probably are back engineering some things and who's to say that we don't live in a, a really populated universe and other things have come in more recent day that have given us this technology. I look at technology too, as like this, this forever thing that just keeps evolving and coming out of nowhere. And like you said, they've had us for like 30 years of maybe more, uh, or they're more like 30, I'd say maybe even 50 years ahead of us, even more than that. So they keep pulling from this endless source. And well, the way I look at technology is it is, it's a double-edged sword. Like we can do this podcast here and that's great. And that's because of technology. But the, the other way of looking at technology is especially the computers and the phones and all this stuff is it's, it's, um, it's removing ourselves from our earth roots and it's not coming from a, a human perspective. I, I almost feel like that it's coming from something non-human and, and in underground bases and places that they've developed this stuff a long ago. Because like you said about cell phones, they created, cell phones were used by the military long ago and we're getting their stuff. Like we're getting um, 5G, which is the millimeter wave. They've been using the millimeter wave for a long time. It's actually a weapons system. 
So we're, we're getting all the stuff from, you know, 50, 30, 50 years ago. And where's that coming from? And where's the end to it? Are we going to see, see, we've never really seen a plateau where we're like stuck or, you know, they're stuck developing technology. It's always coming out more sophisticated and more sophisticated. So where the hell is all that coming from? And that's why I feel like it may not be human, at least in its origin. I mean, you hear a lot of these geniuses talk about how they feel like their ideas aren't necessarily theirs and they just popped into their head. So I made a weird connection with that. Where Are you familiar with what the voice of God is? I've heard of that, yeah. The piece of technology where you can pretty much like project a thought into somebody's head that they had patented back in, I think it was like the 1930s, if I'm not mistaken. So who's to say that maybe the government isn't way more advanced in technology than we assume, and they are intentionally trying to give information to people, so they hand-select people, and they might use a more advanced version of that same technology that they had back then, and that's how they project these ideas in these famous inventors' heads, and they end up creating them, so then it's not like the government has to like say, here, here's a new piece of technology, where people would start questioning them. It seems like it comes from a completely civilian source, and then they just go, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to use them to use to make spaceships and all this kind of stuff and they kind of just play it off as like a cycle because i feel like their technology is way more advanced like we were saying than we can even imagine that it is but they have to find a way to trickle it in without making it obvious that it's coming from them yeah yep and um, and um there there's uh there's there's a lot of there's a lot of uh people that come out like um the guy from apple what was his name jobs steve jobs and Bill Gates and all these people supposedly invented these things in their garage. I, I think they're just front men that they, they, they used to bring out this technology, you know, um, maybe even, um, maybe even Elon Musk is another example of that. But so I feel like they have these people, they're like, okay, you're going to be the guy that brings this out. And, you know, or, or Mark Zuckerberg, you're going to be the guy that, that uh, brings out this, this app, because these people, they just sort of come out of nowhere. They're not people like you and me. They're people that just come out of completely nowhere. And I always get suspicious when people come out of completely nowhere, just like Barack Obama, people that just sort of became these people. And you're like, you really can't trace much of their origin. And it's like, they, they're, you know, how, how often does that happen to anybody? You know, it's like, I don't know anybody that's come from just regular people like you and me to becoming one of these people. These are selected people that I think that they have um, been bred to be these people in our society that are these inventors or these, um, these people, maybe not Nikola Tesla, but a lot of these people are of today are just their front men. That's what I believe. Very true. And I mean, even as far as uh, like, I feel like there's definitely weather changing technology that they've been working on for a long time. And that's why the past couple of years, we've had such weird weather. And I feel like that's way more advanced than we think it is. And we just think it's like a conspiracy, like people like to play it off. But like, how else could you explain the weird weather that's been happening? Like I live in Michigan and we had a day this year where it was hot and sunny in the morning and it snowed in the afternoon. Like weather just doesn't happen like that naturally. That's something weird. Yes, it is. And that, you know, that's something that I can speak a, a lot on because, um, so one of the things that happened in my life, I've met two insiders by synchronicity. The second insider that I met was in 2008, randomly, and I've told this story on numerous podcasts and my own too, but it's, it's okay. Um, 
I was, um, so my ex was um, at a playground with my kids and she was meeting these people and she said, you got to meet this guy I met. He knows about Kim Trails too. And so I'm thinking in my head back then, because I've known about Kim Trails for, you know, since uh, 1998, I think. Uh, so I, I was thinking in my head, I'm going to go tell this guy probably a lot that he doesn't know. It's kind of my ego in my head thinking like, oh, well, I'm ready to tell this guy, excited to tell this guy. Well, it turns out I needed to come back to this guy's house and take notes. This guy was, um, and his wife was, they were both connected into what you call alphabet soup agencies. He was the son of a CIA scientist. And, um, I just threw my phone for <laughs> but here's, but anyway, so, um, and he told me, you know, that th these programs, there's many that they use are the crown jewel of their, their works. It's, it's what they're using for multiple things. So you talked about the, uh, the weather. Well, the weather is a huge one because it's, you know, it's changing the climate and, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's the it's the only thing that's been going on in our skies that has um, been consistently going on since um, the mid '90s. As most of us, most people that have researched this, figured out and started watching the skies that around the mid '90s is when they started to do it full scale. Now you can watch Franken Skies, which is a great documentary by Matt Landman. Uh, and there's a whole history on it, but they didn't start doing this until maybe about 1995. And so what I did on one show is I went back and I looked at large weather events that started ramping up around 1995. And what, what happens is it, all these huge events ramp up right about there and they just keep on going like this steadily up um, in up and up and weird weather has happened ever since they they in started doing these programs so you can definitely link to about mid 90s is when we started getting all this freak weather like you're talking about due to these programs i'm i'm certain on it but that's one aspect of it. and th th there's a lot of aspects to these programs um one of them and, and this is during the um the uh early 2000s, uh, researchers were finding, uh, they were finding, they were called erythrocytes, freeze-dried blood cells in samples that had fallen from the sky. And so what they were doing is they, there's a biological component where they are um, spraying, you know, sicknesses and stuff onto populations as well, which is no stranger to what they've done in things like, I think it was in San Francisco, I forget the name of the uh, program they did there, but it was actually like mainstream news. They actually made people sick by spraying some stuff in the sky. There's even the one in South Africa where they were spraying uh, like the quaalude type thing to get people addicted to quaaludes so that they would not want to revolt against the government. So it's even been done on, on a smaller scale, done by like trucks and vehicles in more recent history too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so it's, there's a whole history of experimentation on the human population. But I remember personally in 2002, I got super sick. Um, I had a 104 or five degree temperature and 
Um, I don't know what I got, but you know, that was a real sickness, not what happened in 2020. Uh, not saying that people didn't get sick, but what they're doing it as another aspect of these programs is they're, they're spraying, you know, um, sicknesses. And I've had a reoccurring sickness probably in my life that's been happening for about 20 years where I get some kind of respiratory thing and the same symptoms happens again and again, and you can relate it to even a heavy spray day. So what happened to me though, uh, I know I'm kind of going all over the place. So I'll go back to this insider in a minute, but I, so in Egypt, I, um, on my way out of there, I tested positive for COVID, but I wasn't sick. And so they were spraying heavy while I was there. And I was realizing, and then I did get a little cold. That was it. It was a cold. So what I'm realizing is they are probably spraying all types of different coronaviruses. And when you, when you um, dovetail that with the PCR test, which doesn't test for a virus, it tests it, any coronavirus can ping that thing. So I think that's what they, they're doing with that aspect they're using it today as a way of testing people or getting people to test positive um, because it lowers your immune system when you have heavy metal poisoning and all that. So that happened to me. So what happened though, I was lucky to go to the front desk of this hotel and this shows you how Egypt works. Money talks. So I um, was talking to the front desk clerk, like, um, can you get another doctor? I want to retest. She goes, Oh, you need, you need a doctor to make you negative. Like, um, so I paid 200 extra dollars, a guy that wasn't dressed like a doctor, no mask, nothing tested me, didn't even put it up my nose, hardly good. So I tested negative to get out of Egypt. So I didn't have to spend 14 days quarantine there. So anyway, that is, uh, that was scary. That was definitely kind of a bad part of the trip. You could say stressful, but, um, like you're going to get trapped in the country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not a good country to be trapped in, especially under those circumstances. You know, you want to get the hell out of there. So, so we got a lot of different programs. So we got the, the, the weather and another thing about the weather, just to throw in there is, okay. So you have this, this cover story. That's what I call it. That geoengineers are spraying a metallic cover over to block out the sun. How come on the cloudy days, if I look through the cracks of clouds, I see the spray or when it's nighttime, I see the spray that wouldn't even make any sense. So that's like the cover story. And I feel like that's what the people that possibly are behind these operations on the lower level are, are told. So it sounds like they're doing a good thing for humanity. So we got the weather part. We got the, the uh, biological part. But back to this insider that I met in 2008. And I broke this a little bit on the, um, the uh, legit bat podcast with, and so I was a little bit out of it and I didn't really break it down like I'm doing here, but this guy said, this is the number one thing they want to do. And this is the transhumanism aspect of these programs. And what it is, is they're spraying these little fibers, these little nanofibers in this. And what they do is they make a network in our bodies that forms from the base of our reproductive organs all the way up our spine. And what it does, it makes us um, conductive to 
ionospheric heaters, and which are things like heart and other things and antenna arrays that are around the world. So we, all of us have this stuff in our bodies because we breathe the air and there's great scientists to look into for anybody that wants to look into this, like Clifford Carnicom, who has been, you know, taking this information since the early, not for the, the late nineties and, you know, you doing his grassroots research with this material. And he has figured out, he's isolated it and everything that this is in everybody's body from urine samples to to um, stool samples, to saliva, to, you know, you name it, skin samples. And what the name that has been talked about for many years is called Morgellons. That's what you call it. Um, and it has created certain diseases in people's body called Morgellons disease. In fact, the singer Joni Mitchell has Morgellons disease. And what it is, is these fibers, it's like, it's like wires growing out of your little microscopic wires growing out of your skin. So the theory behind that is that um, that that um, not everybody's body can handle this stuff. So it comes out as this like itchy rash. And now I know this sounds pretty discouraging and not very um, very nice to hear about. But that I have the the best thing that I can go and talk about here in a second is the remedy to this. So, but. All this stuff is in our body and possibly, I mean, there's, I've talked to some other experts on some shows. It could be a third strand of DNA they're creating, but also it could be the stuff they're putting in the, you know, what that could be a third strand, but anyway, it's changing people. And it makes you wonder around 2020 when all this happened, why so few people resisted what was going on. It makes you wonder if all this is really working in our bodies, all this conductivity to these antenna arrays, because we're surrounded by antenna arrays, stuff for your phone, stuff from your TV to your computer to everything. So as long as we have the stuff in our bodies, we're kind of conducted to that. So here's, here's the remedy and here's the Here's the good news. Um, this guy broke it to me that you can do a simple home remedy. And some people have done this online as a test to see if you have this shit in your body, but it's called the wine rinse. And what it is, is you take wine and let it turn. Like you kind of want it to be fermented. So not drinkable red wine. And you, so let me back up. You take a, it's a, it's a um, homeopathic remedy called hypericum, hy hypericum, hypericum. And what this does is it opens up the pores of your gums. So you put like two in your mouth, you know, these little pellets and you swish them around and for a while. And, you know, they're just like sugar tablets. You can eat them if you want. And so that primes you swishing the wine in your mouth. So you take the wine and you swish it, you know, vigorously, like taking this, I'll just show you to make that noise if, they, if you can do that through the mic but you want to do that for about 30 seconds it burns it burns your gums and then you start spitting it out like plug up your sink and this is gross but if you plug up your sink you'll start seeing all kinds of blobs and strands and weird shit coming out and so you do this as many times as you like and it, he said also you can take um, apple cider vinegar and 
for a, uh, a round or two and do that. And then it opens up your gums even more. So what you're doing is you're pulling out of your, the only place you can really control inside your mouth, your gums, you're leaching out this substance. And what happens, the, the end effect, and I've done this with many people or, or, you know, it's gross, but your third eye area starts to feel really clear. And it's, and it's not just me, other people that have done it too feel the same way. So you could swish wine around in a blender or just take it and shake it as hard as you can. And you will not get the stuff that is coming out of your mouth that is in the sink from just shaking up wine. So you are getting things out of your gums and your, your bloodstream and, or, well, maybe not your bloodstream, but your body. And uh, it's pretty freaky what comes out of there at times. It's, it's gross. Thing. It looks like a murder scene in the, in, the, in the sink. It's disgusting. But it is what we can do to kind of leach that out. It's funny that you mentioned that too, because I remember hearing a bunch of recent reports about morticians finding something that you, kind of like you described in people's veins from people that recently had gotten the vaccine. And they were saying that it was graphite. And when you look into graphite, the weird part about it is a lot of the people who are the high ups in Pfizer also have money put into like graphite. So it makes you question all that kind of stuff too. And that's why I wouldn't even take the chance of even getting the vaccine. Even if they tell me like, you can't work a normal job, you can't do this. Like I refuse to get that shit because I don't know what it is. I don't know what it could link to. And I don't want to be a test subject because essentially that's what they're turning everybody into. Like you were saying. Yeah. And, and who's to say that what happens, who, who knows what happens when that mixes with the other stuff that's already in our body and what we become once we do that. I, I don't know. Um, here's the problem with the vaccine is everybody's talking about it in the alternative media. And it's almost like blown too far out of proportion to where people are saying there's this in it and there's that in it. There's graphene oxide, there's snake venom, there's um, uh, these metallic things and uh, what they call luciferase enzyme and, and uh, uh, what's another one? Uh, oh, whatever. Anyway, there's been so many people have talked about, I'm confused at this point. Like, I don't know, like maybe all that's in there or maybe some of that's in there, but it's kind of like, we just have to sit back and see what happens to people that have taken it. You know, there's no way to know what it's done to society yet. The, it's the long-term effects. Yeah, there's a lot of people dying. Excuse me. <clears throat> there's a lot of people dying, but um, there's a lot of reproduction effects too already that they've seen from the vaccine as far as like men not being able to get it up and like women having issues down there too. And that's already directly tied and linked to that. And then the more the Pfizer documents are coming out, the more you realize that they actually did have, they knew that this kind of stuff would happen from that. So I've always questioned whether the fact, question the fact of whether or not they're trying to almost like sterilize people with this on top of it to try to control the population in a different aspect. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I, I mean, you know, they, they're all eugenicists and population control is, they're definitely up their alley. I mean, they, you know, the Rockefellers own the Planned Parenthood and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're definitely not. They're definitely anti-human. I've always questioned why they pushed it so hard too on top of that. And they've never pushed the vaccine this hard to the point where like my, my work was offering $100 for people to get it. There's places that are offering strippers for people that get it and all this other stuff. Like 
There's no logical reason why they'd be pushing it that hard if it's strictly just for our own good. That's right. And everything good in this world that's actually good for you and like it costs money, like it's not free and they don't have you coached you to get it. It's something that you usually have to pay a lot of money for if it's something good for you, usually, you know? Yeah, even just looking at like fast food, you go to like a fast food place and the salad costs $8, but the burger costs 4 In retrospect, it's cheaper to make that salad, but they're going to charge twice the price because it's good for you. And they're not trying to give you shit that's good for you. That's why in America, we're the only place that uh, still uses high fructose corn syrup to the extent that we do. Yeah. And organic foods more than, than conventional. It's just crazy. But, you know, and so we have this society now that's um, freaking flipped its lid over this. I mean, and then they're calling people names, dirty names. Like, well, what's an anti-vaxxer? It's an ad hominem attack on someone who is not wanting to take an experimental rush to market gene therapy. But, but you know, a, a, an anti-vaxxer is really a mix of people. I mean, you have people that have vaccine injured children and they want to call you all these dirty names that really have no meaning that applies, such as vaccine hesitancy. Well, there's a lot of people that don't want some foreign substance in their body. And, and how can they think that those that are really anti-vaxxers haven't done research and homework? How, how can they just assume that we're just some dumb people like, yeah, I just don't like that. I mean, there's a hundred different reasons why you would not want that in your body. They want to call us dirty names like conspiracy theorists. I mean, what is a conspiracy theorist? Well, it's someone who is, has looked at what was being said and suspects that there's misinformation or a lie at foot. Um, a, a conspiracy theorist is just another word for a truth seeker, someone who has distrust with what authority is saying or doing and suspects a plot of some sort, and someone who speaks about things that regular people can't bear to look at because if it were true, it would reveal a darkness that you are afraid to look at, or people are afraid, that would um, simply, the, the population wouldn't be ready for. So they're calling us all these dirty names, but really these are, these are actually aware people, and the smartest people I know on this planet are conspiracy theorists. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because uh, I have a doctor in my family. I don't want to drop any names, but he said pretty much half of the medical industry knows that it's bullshit. And he was pretty much forced to get it because if he didn't get it, he was going to have all of the hard work that he's done up to this point discouraged. And he's going to get thrown to the side and fired because he has to push this vaccine, even though he knows that it's bullshit. And he doesn't want to do it. And he feels morally wrong doing it, but he's afraid of losing his job because of it. And they're even going for the low-hanging fruit now. I don't know if you've seen uh, any of the new studies that they do on anti-vaxxers, but they're trying to say that anti-vaxxers are people who have childhood trauma and this and that, and they have different mental illnesses. And uh, I, I'll have to show you um, the clip afterwards, but they even had an article where they're almost sounding like they're trying to talk down to people like us, where there was a guy on there that was saying like, yeah, you got to understand how these, how these vaccine-hesitant anti-vaxxers are. Uh, we have to, you know, dress like them, act like them, uh, come into their community and just make them feel more comfortable about it because you have to understand they came from a place where they had a lot of childhood trauma and they don't think like normal people. And they're, dude, they're, they're going hard trying to do this smear campaign. But as far as I'm concerned, like it's been two years now in and anybody that doesn't have the vaccine isn't going to get it. So now they're just trying everything in their power to try to make it so that other citizens will start trying to control 
people like us who question authority and they make that sound like it's a bad thing that we question authority but realistically like that's how most terrible things have happened in history is that people blindly followed somebody without making their own moral evaluations of what's going on and that's how you end up getting like uh things like hitler for example you know nobody was doing their own thoughts on shit they're just blindly following a leader because that's what they were told was right without making their own assessment of the situation yeah 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 it's, it's just blind trust in authority and blind trust in thinking that the institutions of society would betray its own people but there's a laundry list of wrongs they've already done to society so i this trust is is insane to me that that and it's shown no better in this situation that we just went through you know um things like the the milgram experiment where they they you know they um they shock people and, and they they realize that people love getting this little bit of power and authority um they've been studying this shit for years and so they put it together and now people are accepting blindly accepting so many things and you know it's it's i guess i I, I've been awake long enough that I, I can't even begin to think uh, uh, that there isn't a central force that's dictating this stuff behind the scenes because it's never been more clear than these days. And it, it's just because society has to stop blindly putting things on high pedestals. And, and this is what, this is unfortunately what people do is they put, you know, college graduates and media and politicians and NASA and all these things on these high pedestals as if they're great. But the, some of the craziest and weirdest and most horrible people in the world are behind these institutions. It's just that people don't understand compartmentalization and they don't understand how this life really works. So when you step into the world, you're stepping into this world of people just blindly trusting all the institutions of society because they don't know that these institutions have been hijacked long ago and they're not for their own good. Saying the other issue too is that they've learned a way to prof profit off of intelligence, for example. Like people don't want to believe somebody unless you have a degree saying that you're intelligent in this certain field when may not, that may not be the case. Because even with today's technology, like there's so much information at hand at any given time that if you're willing to put the time in and learn things, I feel like you could almost learn more off of looking up the right things on the internet and watching the right courses than you pop probably could honestly sitting in a college class. But because you don't have that piece of paper that says that you're educated in this topic, instantly people don't want to listen to what you have to say. And I mean, even going into, I want to make another side comment uh, about the vaccines too. There's a lot of questionable things as far as science goes, where if I feel like science is becoming like the new religion where people are willing to follow it off of blind faith. And even just uh, like, for example, Biden, when he got his vaccine directly on TV, normally when you give a shot, you push it in and then you pull it back to make sure you didn't hit any veins or arteries. So why was it that the person who did the vaccine for the president didn't do that? Because you think that they would have the person who is the most knowledgeable in that field doing that for the president. But why, why would they not do the pullback before they actually inject it in? It's, it's super questionable. And a lot of these uh, different politicians and stuff, they get it. It seems like it's like a show where maybe they aren't getting the vaccine on live camera. Maybe they did get it at one point, but they're just trying to just be like, hey, look, everybody, I got it. So it's OK. And they're just staging it. But if they're not staging it and that's supposed to be their actual vaccine, 
Like, I don't think half these politicians are actually getting it. It's not actually going into them. It might, because people don't want to believe stuff like that, but you see in movies, you know how easy it is to make a needle that looks like it goes into something that you just use a spring? And even pushing the liquid in, they got that down for movies. Like, they, nobody's really taking heroin in a movie, but they still know how to make this little shot that looks like blood pulls back in as they go to do it because they have the technology to fake that kind of shit very easily. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. And, and uh, I would doubt that they gave them anything at all. That's a good point. I, did, I didn't even think about that with, the, um, with Biden getting his vaccine because it seems like, um, yeah, they would send the most dedicated, best of their type to in, in administer a shot into somebody rather than just some, some dude that's like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll put it in there, <laughs> you know? So um, I'm thinking that really we're going to have to wait and see what happens to humanity. And it's, it's really weird because they pull back now and they have this saying, even in places like Australia, which was like, you know, return of a prison camp there. Um, it was, it's like, they call it living with COVID. Now everybody's living with COVID. Well, why weren't we just living with COVID the whole time? This really have to disrupt the entire planet. And it did not because most of us that did research figured out, well, that if they have to um, inflate numbers and they have to uh, do all this extra work to convince us it exists, then it's definitely not what they're saying it is because they weren't pulling bodies out of houses and they weren't you know, I never saw anybody, um, I never even knew anybody that had it for the longest time. And even the people that I do know that have had, had COVID, they talk about how it's very mild. I mean, if you have an upper respiratory problem to begin with, I'm sure it's a lot worse for you. If you're like an older person who already has health issues, it's a lot worse for you. But anybody I know that's young that's gotten it has mentioned that it's, it's very mild. But the people I do know who have gotten the shot, and this is my biggest questionable part about it, and one of the main reasons that I won't get it, is they say that they have issues with their smell now, they have issues with their taste. And I have one particular person that I work with who got the vaccine probably like six months ago now, and she said she still doesn't taste things properly. So I'm not willing to take that risk. And what kind of vaccine is it if it's fucking up your senses? Yeah, that's, a, that's very, very good. I mean, what, and, and here's, here's the thing too, I think it's what people think is that Oh, well, I got vaccines when I was a kid. So what's, what's another going to do? You know, they, they, they got something that people have been familiar with their whole life. And of course, if you do research into it, none of it's actually that good um, most of the time. And I, I mean, sure, if people want to, you know, throw an ad hominem attack on me that I'm an anti-vaxxer, that's because I've done research that has persuaded me not to want to get those kind of shots from big pharma. But They've, they've taken something that, that everybody's familiar with from birth and just said, well, look, it's just a simple shot. It only stings for just a little bit, you know, and so much propaganda. And I've, no one's ever seen anything like it. It's, it's, um, it's, it's to the next level that anyone's ever seen yet. I say, I feel like it's one of those things, too, that they're trying to use anti-vaxxer as like a derogatory term. But as far as like conspiracy theories, for example, they tried to make that as a derogatory term and we kind of took ownership over it and now we use it amongst us. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm more an anti-vaxxer as a badge of honor rather than it being discredited towards me because I'll gladly tell everybody that like they're not discrediting me or making me look like I'm bad because I don't trust it because anybody that comes up and talks to people like us, 
we'll give you more reasons why you shouldn't get it than somebody who's all for it can give you on why you should get it. Because most of those people are strictly getting their information off of just blind faith in science because that's where it's pushing. Um, it's almost turning into like a new religion is the best way to describe it, where everybody's like, trust the science, trust the science, but you're not really doing these experiments yourself, so you don't really know. So scientists can theoretically say anything. And if they had a big enough uh, following or if they had the right paperwork, like we were talking about, nobody else would question it. They would just believe it and do it. And that's kind of the same thing you see even within religion that I feel like religion also started off at a very good place, but people realized that they could take power from it. And then that's when they started manipulating the system to work how they needed to. And that change in science has happened in our lifetime where I felt you could trust the science way more uh, even like 10 years ago. But as soon as this vaccine thing happened, science all turned into blind faith. And you see different scientists that'll come out and talk about the vaccine and why you shouldn't, shouldn't get it. And what happens to those people? They get completely discouraged, thrown off of all sorts of media. Like you saw it happen with uh, Joe Rogan with, uh, what's his name, Dr. Malone, yeah. that he was somebody that was a vaccine. He was a vaccinologist. Like who else would you trust over that? I, I would trust a vaccinologist over this type of information rather than like a pediatrician or a normal doctor. But he got completely discredited and thrown to the side because he started speaking out about it but those are the types of people that you should be listening to above everybody because he specifically works on that and if he's out here willing to risk his job over telling people not to trust this kind of shit then like people should see that as a sign like if somebody's willing to throw away 40 years worth of work in order to get a message out there has to be some truth to that message and they felt a need to bring that to the surface to the point where they're willing to risk losing their job and they knew what was going to happen right from the start of them even starting to talk about it yeah yep and it yeah the, there's well society has never been crazier and um they've just been uh, let me add like the craziest people in our society actually come from regular life they you know not the homeless guy screaming on the corner yeah he's crazy but it's regular old people that come from regular old society that are actually the craziest people because those are the people like they go to work all day and they get off and they watch TV and their brain is on idle mode while they're getting sent so many messages to their subconscious. And, you know, a good movie to watch actually is um, I'm sure you've probably seen it a long time ago, American Beauty. And it's it just kind of shows you how crazy our society can be these it's usually middle-class people so it's the people that went through everything mainstream they went through um they went through school they went to college they got the job the career they work around people that think that way they never get a break they don't listen to these kind of podcasts and so all they see is this i mean people have gone to extreme craziness because they think it's normal like there was this aussie family australians where the son would not get vaccinated and good on him, good for that. But um, the rest of the family was, and he had to FaceTime to come to dinner, you know, and it's just, it's just madness. So really when people say we're crazy conspiracy theorists and we're kooks, look at them. They live the life that they never questioned owned by everything that's bought and paid for the school system, the, the media, the, the food they eat, and it goes on and on. I did a whole series of shows called The System Tentacles, where it's a bunch of different things we pull off in imaginary way out of our body and see who we are without those influences as the media, you know, the education system and so forth. So 
yeah, we live in a crazy world. So we're not crazy. We're actually thinking and we're, um, you know, and if you don't do the thinking, then somebody else is going to do the thinking for you. And that's, that's what's happened to people around us. So they make it sound like curiosity is a bad thing, but uh, you know, even with terms like curiosity killed the cat, but realistically, how would anybody or anything ever advance through time without curiosity? So why are we looking at it? Like it's a bad thing when we're never going to progress unless you have curious people. And especially at this time, anybody that questions anything or questions authority is getting shunned upon and getting taken off of all different forms of media. And it's like, how, how, how does nobody see the flaw in that? Like, I don't, I don't understand why people see an issue with people that are willing to break things apart and question them. Like, those are the types of people that are the ones who have made discoveries through time. And now we're, now we're shunning those people, but certain ones are okay, though. And that's why I question a lot of these uh, rich geniuses is i guess you could say like elon musk for example uh everybody wants to look at him like he's the good guy but i feel like it's been a ploy this whole time that you're looking at him like he's the good guy like oh he posts stuff on twitter he's funny but he's also the one pushing Neuralink, which is another huge extremely questionable thing as far as i'm concerned where they're trying to make it so that you know if anybody else was doing that people would instantly question it but because they do it with elon musk who is a very likable guy as far as his like internet personality goes like people are going to be a lot more, they're not going to put as much thought into it before they put a near link in their body because it's coming from a likable character. Mm, yes. Yes. They do that a lot. They, they get you to trust an authority figure and I I'm pretty suspicious about him. And I, I was talking about this on legit bad a little bit about um, first of all, there was a novel that Werner von Braun wrote uh, the, the Nazi scientists in 1952 uh, it was a sci-fi novel about colonizing Mars and who's head of all these 10 people, a guy named Elon, you know, how many Elons are there? And, you know, just to go off a little riff on him, there's a lady named Carol Rosen who um, speaks about being with him on his deathbed. And she was like his caretaker and, you know, got to know him the last four years of his life. And he said that, we're going to have a Cold War. That's going to be false. We're going to have terrorist threats. That's going to be false. Asteroids and, and uh, aliens. And all of them are going to be false. And he said the worst thing, and she's, he said to her, and you know, you, I don't know if you can trust this source or not, this lady, but um, that when they start weaponizing space, then you'll know. And don't let them weaponize space. Well, they have. So... Here we are. And all those things have not been true as we investigate. Yeah. And it's funny too, because it's like so many of these people predict things and nobody wants to look into it. And especially in sci-fi writing in particular, they guess a lot of things that happen almost like they have some type of insider knowledge. But if they were trying to expose some information, they can't be sitting there writing it as nonfiction. They would have to list it as fiction in order to get it out to the masses. And they would hope that there's a special group of people who would read between the lines and understand that they're trying to tell you these concepts in between the lines. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of stuff, especially like HP Lovecraft, a lot of these old writers that they've been trying to express all this information. And we're just now starting to realize it because things are lining up. And it's unfortunate that we didn't realize this stuff years ago, because we could almost have like a, like a plan of events that's going to happen. And even with that one you were saying that, that ties right back into that uh, project blue light or Blue Beam, however it's worded, um, that he was predicting it back before the Cold War even happened. Yeah. And, and the, I think, I think there, here's a problem with a lot of people nowadays. Um, 
in the truth community is they'll write everything off and throw the baby out with the bathwater too quickly, where I feel like, and I'm pretty sure this, like what you're talking about with Werner Von Braun or H.P. Lovecraft or even like um, George Lucas, these are people that had some insider knowledge that are, they, they're going to get busted for speaking the real truth. But if they can leak out little bits of the truth into the population, they feel like they're doing at least something about it. So I don't feel like it's all bad guys across the board. I think that's a very naive way of looking at um, things where every there it's more, it's more uh, three dimensional where there are people in even these dark elite circles that might want to do something good, but they can't because they're who they are and they're in their situation. But I think we've been warned by people like also like Orwell and, um, and Aldous Huxley and people like that, that had some insider knowledge and they're just trying to do what they can. So um, I feel like uh, there is a lot these days and nobody's shows I've been on, thankfully, and I love this new community that's coming out of everything, but there's other people I hear out there that are just throwing so much out with and looking at things without doing the proper research when really, I think there are people that are trying to warn us at least give us little little tidbits and seeds that they can plant in our heads. So if we ever find out, we'll at least know that they were trying to be on our side. So I feel like there's a lot of a mix between media too, because I keep bringing up uh, Don't Look Up, that movie. I feel like that was almost like a warning for people, but everybody kind of looked past it like it was just some kind of like a fun movie. Um, and even there's other stuff too, where like the menu Sarah Goats, for example, I feel like they the government will purposely try to take a project they did and they'll turn it into a ridiculous comedy so that people will just associate it with just something ridiculous and funny. So when people actually look into it, it's instantly like, oh, those people are crazy. Did you see that movie where those people are just like trying to blow up clouds with their mind and stuff like that? Because they're trying to discredit it, just like they're trying to do with the term conspiracy theorist. It's all a matter of just pushed propaganda. And there's yeah. good and bad sides coming from both ends, where the people are trying to push this stuff into the mainstream. And it seems like the stuff that's made to be look ridiculous is more than likely the stuff that's trying to discredit people like us. But then the stuff that's like weirdly straight on how things really are, like don't look up, might actually be from people that are trying to expose this kind of shit in their own way, shape, and form. Right, right. And, and I, I think you're right about that too, because when people, they'll take something like, um, a good one is the Matrix, where they're trying to block out the sky from the sun. So, so you bring up like geoengineering concepts to people and they, they're like, Oh yeah, well I saw that in a movie. That's just in a movie. And so sometimes I think that's that's how a lot of people think because they go, well that's just science fiction, but ideas come from somewhere. Every idea comes from someplace. It has an origin and that's what we really have to look at is where that origin came from and who are these people that are trying to give us this info. Another one too that I feel like has been greatly discredited is uh, David Icke, for example, with his whole idea of the reptilians, because people like to try to debunk him now, and they say that there's these movies that came out around the time that he wrote his first book that were basically, um, I forgot the name of the movie offhand, but I'll have to, maybe I'll add it into the show description at the bottom, but uh, there was a movie where it was basically like government officials, and they were secretly like reptilians, so a lot of people say, oh, he stole the idea from this movie, but maybe that's because they started exposing themselves on accident. David Icke caught onto it. So what would they do before David Icke can 
get the information out. They're going to do stuff like throw out movies like that so that people will gravitate towards, oh, it's just, con- it's just a, a fiction movie or, you know, it's, it's not real. It's, I saw that in a movie once. Like they, they do that shit on purpose. And I feel like there's a lot of truth within the media because, you know, the way of media back in the day was these books. And that's why they wrote these science fiction books. But now the main source of media is movies. So they're doing the same thing, but just the media has changed as far as how they're doing it. Yeah. Yep. And in, and in, and people like David Icke, David Icke is, uh, David Icke is an original researcher. And if you go into his books, he, he sources his material. And if you read how he got to the conclusion of reptilians, it makes a lot more sense than just hearing, oh yeah, that guy believes there's these lizard people. And it's, yeah, it sounds crazy, but what people don't do in general society and not even not even talking about the truth movement is they don't see how people get to conclusions. They don't research how it got to that. And if you actually listen to David, I talk about it, you know, it makes a lot more sense because this stuff started coming in his life and it, he wasn't even looking for it, but he's going to go where the truth takes him. But that's what he always says. But with Hollywood too, I mean, all this, all it's in the words, you know, you, you hear, um, uh, or, or media in general, uh, broadcasting, casting a spell. This goes into dark magic, newscaster, or programming. Television, they're telling you a vision. Yes, yep, telling you a vision. Or Hollywood. There's no, if you go in LA, there's no holly trees. Why are they calling it Hollywood? Because the wood was used as a wand by the ancient Druids. They're casting a spell, the cast of a movie. So people are being taken by master manipulators and it even says in the bible master sorcery during the end times and if you believe that or not you know it's up for you know whoever um you know interprets the information but certainly we are being taken by sorcery and that's why we have the population that we do today so i'm a firm believer in the fact that our words used to have a lot more power than we think they do where at one point juan always talks about it from the one-on-one podcast but he believes that there was a time where it was like in a movie where people were walking around and they were able to do like magic, so to speak. And it may have been through your words where if you look at just like words have transitioned through time where, you know, different, different letters make different sounds. Now uh, we added all these extra bridge words to our, to our speech. Like it could have done, been done intentionally to try to take us away from our natural abilities of what we're able to do. Even going back to just like using your third eye type of concept. Um, they try to dilute out the language so that our words don't have as much action as they used to. But I mean, even just looking at words, just uh, even now, like words can completely change somebody's perspective of reality. So they still do have power. And if people don't want to believe they have power, like even, you know, they say that the pen is mightier than the sword. Like you can hurt somebody more with your words because it'll resonate and stick with them the rest of their life versus just, just stabbing them or something like that, for example. Like words have way more power than people realize. And I believe firmly that words had way more power back in the day than we can even possibly imagine that they did just having like a different kind of connection to nature. And even if you go into like spiritual beliefs, if this sounds too woo woo for people, um, like uh, the Bible talks about stuff like this too. And a bunch of different ancient religions talk about like this concept of like magic. So I like to look between the lines and I feel like if there's something that every religious text refers to, there has to be some type of truth to it. Maybe not to like, you know, Frost Roda, like, you know, in Skyrim, and then you're creating some kind of powerful blast, but there may have just been a different mentality to it where you could produce things and create things from your words 
and even going into just a little bit of more woo-woo type shit, I guess, um, people who do DMT trips and have that type of like weird spiritual connection, they'll refer to these beings that will use their, their words to create like realities within these DMT trips. And maybe there is also a connection with that. Maybe that's why DMT is in every single plant. It's just not as concentrated as like mimosa bark, for example, which is what they make DMT with. But yeah, there's just this, this magic connection to nature that people don't want to look at. Or even just like another one that's a psychedelic plant, or not even the psychedelic aspect of it, but mycelium, for example, it connects trees and makes it so that trees can communicate. So it's almost like a, like a natural magic, you know? And people don't want, they look past it and they don't like using that word for it. But like realistically, that's what it is. Like how else would these things be able to communicate if it wasn't for this, this, this medium of things to happen, you know? And that's where it goes into our reality being possibly way more than we expected to. And we've just been diluted out of it from where we used to be. And it's just getting worse as technology goes on because you're pulling away from your natural abilities and you're more so focusing on technology to do these things for you. Where even like, you know, knowing the weather, for example, I feel like animals inherently know what weather is going to happen that day, but we've become so far pushed away from that, that we rely on technology to tell us the weather. So just off of evolution, like we've adapted to not have these abilities because we're relying on technology to have them because there's not a need for it. So why would we keep evolving to have these abilities when there's not a need for them at the present time? Yeah. The power of the word is so more important. Like my grandmother used to say to all of us grandkids, how our, our um, vocabulary wasn't very good and we didn't use words right. And I'm sure that was done on purpose to basically my generation talks like Beavis and Butthead, just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, we're, we're dumbed down and we're dumbed down on purpose. But I guess where I was going with that is, I, being an ex-hip-hop artist, I learned the power of the word early on and the way that you can say words and the way that words have meaning behind how you say them and the inflection behind what you say, it really matters. So when I've taken psychedelics and listened to some really good lyricism, it really hits me in a totally new way than if you just listen to words on a, on a normal mindset but that the power of word is really strong. And that's why podcasts are so awesome because we're using our best in our best ability words to communicate a message that is not coming through regular society. I don't know if you uh, believe in more of like the spiritual side of things, but uh, before I started my podcast, I kind of just felt like I needed to do something like this because I had so much truth bombs I needed to drop on people. And before I started my podcast, um, I started noticing that I felt like there was like more power like within my throat and behind my words where they just seemed like they had a lot more oomph behind them. And I started realizing that if I projected my words a certain way, even if I'm saying the same concept I was saying a couple of weeks ago, but I sounded like a little bit more quiet and timid about it. If I had like that power and that push behind my words, they had a lot more push with other people. So just even the way you use your words, even if you're saying the exact same words, makes a huge difference on how powerful your words can be. And as far as like podcasting goes, you'll notice that the farther people get into podcasting, they get better at perfecting this art. And it makes it so that we could be talking about absolutely nothing, but people are sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to hear what the next word is, um, just off of the fact of how you're projecting your words, just to show how powerful they can be. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and you get good at um, just being in, improv with this because when you, you focus on it so long, 
everything you're starting to speak is just this this language of truth and and truth hits the heart and people feel that and i've been doing podcasts for nearly a decade but i had no idea really like who am i talking to like i know i have my core listeners but like who am i talking to like what kind of a difference am i making sometimes i was thinking like what you know at times like what why am i even doing this you know but then you people you wouldn't even think get touched by what you do and your words go a lot farther than you think and people really they yeah they interpret it their own way that's just normal but they interpret it in ways that you wouldn't think and it you never know who you're waking up you might be waking up the next person that uh you know starts an awesome movement in the world that helps humanity uh you never know where these words are going and that's what's so beautiful about it um is is the free speech platform of podcasting and, and uh being able to put together the world's information that's never been in one place before because before the internet all the world's information was in a book over here and over there and all these different sources and there was no way to put it together, but how lucky are we in this modern day? And this is the good thing about technology is we have all the world's information at our fingertips and we're able to combine concepts that even the old schoolers weren't able to do because they had to read a book about this and about that. Not that I think we shouldn't read books though. I feel like there is some people that don't read books and those are the same people that come up with some of these throwing the baby out with the bathwater concepts not doing really good research but yeah um i kind of forgot where i was going with that but uh, just the power of of our speech and our words is so 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 uh it, it's it's so important it hits people at so many different angles that people really love these kind of podcasts and they'll that get addicted and they start listening to more and more so it's a good thing I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I had something else I was going to say, whatever, but I'll let you take it. So if you remember, you know, you can, you can interject at any time, but uh, going off of what you were saying, I feel like pulling away, pulling people away from knowledge and from our natural way of doing things has been greatly progressed in the aspect of people look at books like there's something that's boring, but that's because people have gotten so used to this, uh, you know, you go on the internet, here's a video, here's a video, boom, 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 boom that they've purposely done this to pull people away from books because they realize that the real power is within the text. Because even as far as I go, like I listen to podcasts all day, I retain a lot of information, but I feel like when I read a book, you retain the information and in a, in a very, very different way than you do hearing it when you're physically seeing the words. And that just, again, shows the power of the words. And going back to another thing you were saying, like I started my podcast, not even thinking that anybody was necessarily going to listen to me. I was doing it for my kids and just so that I had a means of venting out the things I needed to say. And it shows how much like these words can change people's perspective because uh, I didn't expect to get any kind of reviews. And I actually got a review today that the guy says, uh, this show is great. This guy goes down so many different avenues with every topic and just opens up a new world of questions with every question. And it just shows that you may not realize it, but you're inspiring people. I even had a guy, like I said, I'm only two months in and he messaged me and said he's been wanting to start up a, a truther Instagram page. Um, and he just didn't know if he could do it. And he heard me come on Mark's podcast and a couple other podcasts. And he's like, wow, I didn't realize that that community is so, so accepting. So now he's trying to start up his page. So it's like, I'm only two months in and I feel good that I have the ability to inspire people like that. And I hope I continue to do that. And it just kind of shows that 
people are tired of the mainstream bullshit and people appreciate stuff like this. Like I had another uh, guy that was messaging me on Instagram, basically saying that he appreciates the fact that I'm willing to say the things that he wants to say, but he feels that he can't say. And he appreciates the fact that I stand behind my words and I have reasoning behind my words. And I'm sure that inspires him to be possibly more like that in his life. And it's just little small things that you don't think is making a big difference, but it could be making a huge difference in somebody's life. Even as simple as, you know, somebody holding up in the door for somebody that could completely change somebody's perspective the rest of the day. So if words have so much power, imagine the difference of like a word can do for somebody, especially if you're inspired, you know, you have the ability to inspire people to do things like this. Like I even contribute the fact to that of me starting from a lot of these podcasters because they inspired me to do this. And now I'm starting this up and now I'm inspiring a new group of people. And hopefully it's a chain effect that, you know, all these new podcasters will come in, they'll inspire a new generation of podcasters, and they'll just build up this truther community, and maybe it'll be the main media community, and people will start looking at people like us for real news, um, because they realize that we're not biased at all, and we're just stating things because we feel the need to say them, because we know this information, and because we have access to finding these information, this information. And then the other problem that pops up is that there's so much information out in the world that it's very easy to throw out bullshit information within it. So it's good that there's a community of people that know how to pick up patterns and they catch things and they're able to sort through this information because that's what it comes down to now. It's not a grasp for information like it used to be 30 years ago. It's about being able to sort through the information and figure out what's bullshit and what's fact and what things are worth looking into because you see them continuously through different forms of media. So if you see something that's like I was saying back to like the, the, the like different uh, religious books, you see something that's the same through every single book, maybe you should start going down that avenue and figuring out what the truth is to that component. And that's the matter of being able to dissect this information. And that's what we need more in the world now is not necessarily more information, but people who can sort through the bullshit information. Yeah, it's about, it's about connecting uh, widely different concepts and vastly different things knowing how to connect dots and a conspiracy theorist is that person. A conspiracy theorist is someone that's putting together information on their own. And they're, they're people that are truth seeking. They're seeking the truth. And it's the same process as detective does when they're trying to, you know, um, solve a crime. They take everything, you know, everything into uh, consideration and start eliminating one by one until they have what they see as the truth. Us truth-seeking people too, we don't have all the answers. We're, I, I like to, I always say this on my show, um, I liken it to a person looking into a construction site from that little window, looking at, at the new building being built. We can't see everything going on in there, but we are trying to put together from what we can see a picture. And you know, this is exactly what they don't want us to do is to put together this picture or they wouldn't care. So if we were saying total nonsense, then we would be, we would be um, uh, allowed to speak on every platform and we could just be laughed off. But because they have to censor us, that means whatever we're saying is got elements of truth. And I think more than elements, but stuff that will change society. And they're scared. That means they're scared. But also, I was going to say, good that you're getting reviews on, on, um, on the podcast. That really makes people feel good. When you put out information and you just put it out there, you don't know what people are going to say. It always feels really good. 
Yeah, it makes it seem like everything you're doing is worthwhile just to know that there's some people out there that actually are appreciating the words that you have to say and actually want to listen to you. And that's yeah. like one of the biggest things in this community is the fact that we've all kind of realized that, you know, we can't be running around trying to tell everybody this information. And that's why a lot of us podcasters jumped into podcasting is because we're putting out information for the people that want to hear it versus just trying to spit this information to people that aren't interested in hearing it. And then even like with COVID, for example, I feel like they were trying to push this agenda with COVID, but it actually kind of backfired in their face where they were trying to keep people busy with you go to work, uh, you watch your sports, you take care of your kids, you make dinner, you go to bed. So they're trying to keep people busy so that nobody has the time to research and actually do these types of things. But because of COVID and making it so people had to stay home, there was a huge boom in people that had that extra time and started putting pieces together. So it honestly, I feel like it backfired in their face more than anything. Like I'm, Obviously, COVID's not a good thing. The pandemic's not a good thing. But as far as like the truth community goes, I feel like it was one of the biggest positives that's ever happened because in order for there to be a hero, there has to be a problem in the first place. And if there wasn't this initial problem of COVID, like we wouldn't have had this means to be able to wake people up because they wouldn't have questioned their society until it got so drastic that people in everyday life are like, I don't know, man, something seems a little bit off. And then they actually started looking into these types of podcasts and now boom they're starting to realize all these other connections. All it takes is just, you see a little tip of the iceberg and you get somebody that's interested in that. And then as soon as they start diving in, they realize how big the iceberg really is. Yeah. Look at, look at how many podcasts emerged from 2020 era to now. Um, so many people obviously had things to say and possibly they are awake before, but they didn't, they didn't have that fire that needed to kick them into the next gear in order to actually go ahead and do uh, a podcast. I mean, I've been on a, a number of podcasts recently that are maybe just two years old um, that obviously came from people that I figure must have had that same drive and it just gave them more time to sit and research. So they actually did a mistake. They actually, by letting us be at home, it allowed us to see more of the flaws of what they were putting through. I mean, at least some of us that were awake or had suspicion in the beginning and now, now look, so they've actually created the red pill society much more than any one person could do. Like David Icke is a great person for his endeavors and what he's done. He's built stadiums and talked to him. I've, I've actually seen him in concert and that was awesome, but there's no way he could have woke this many people up. So it took this, bad thing to wake up so much more of the world and you know i've been on a little a lot of ubers um more recently and it's amazing how many uber drivers i'll start the conversation like oh so you don't have to wear your mask anymore but that feels all right and then you know and and they're like yeah and then you wouldn't believe it they're totally awake and it's like oh wow there's more of us out there than we think it's just that society or you know mainstream society makes it think makes people think that it's just this little corner of society these dirty little anti-vaxxers these dirty conspiracy theorists they're probably white supremacists they throw every bad name in the book at you when all you're doing is trying to speak the truth and if they weren't so intent on trying to quiet us down like why, why would they be trying this hard to put us down like you were talking about george orwell earlier I got my first blocked post actually that was ruled as false information, even though it's a quote. So tell me how that makes sense. But the quote was, the people will believe what the media tells them they believe. So tell me why Facebook saw that as something necessary to block as false information, unless there's 
some truth to that, <laughs> especially considering it's an opinion quote. Yeah. Yep. It never mattered before. Never mattered before. Now look. So, I mean, it kind of tipped the scales. Like one side went up, we more people speak the truth, but then the other side advanced their, their tyranny and their, their uh, agendas much more. I think right now with this sort of quiet period where we're not being as harshly uh, treated as a civilization and, and, you know, the mandates are gone. I think people really need to um, do their dil- dear, do their diligence to uh, at least, you know, some of us need to do their diligence to exposing these fuckers that put us in that in the first place. Cause they're still just fine. Though all those people that caused all this oppression, they're still untouched and fine. So um, I hope that society doesn't go back to sleep during this sort of lull period here. Uh, I hope that there's some hope in that way, in that one. I'm hoping it's one of those things that it's like, you can't go back from it. Cause that's kind of how I was. It was like, ignorance was bliss, but as soon as you start seeing through the shit, you can't unsee it. So I'm hoping yeah. it'll be like that for most people. And the people that are not getting it or still having questioned things like there's a lot of people, I'm not saying that, that it's a bad thing, but a lot of people need to be told what to do because they don't know how to like think for themselves. And I almost kind of see the masks still being worn as like a good thing in a sense, because I'm looking at those people and I know that those are the types of people that there's probably no way of reaching them. So it kind of like defers out the people that aren't necessarily even worth trying to speak this message to. Because anybody that's like hellbound still on masks and hasn't questioned it once, you know that there's nothing that you can say that'll ever get across to them at this point especially this far into the pandemic yeah it falls on dead ears most of the time but you never know what a small seed can do uh you never know what a small seed of truth can grow into if you say something that they've never thought about before that's outside of their norm but not too offensive because if you get into offensive into offending they're going to automatically deflect it. But if you can kind of plant, I mean, yeah, some people are hopeless, but some people may just need to make a connection to something and go, hmm, wait a minute. And then maybe it bothers them so much. It festers and builds, and then they can't but not look that thing up and go, hmm. And then hopefully, hopefully it leads to another thing and it leads to another thing. And maybe there's hope for some people like that. I don't have a lot of hope for them, but that's just being hopeful speaking. It's, it's funny you mentioned that too, because my work was one of the ones that was very adamant about wearing a mask when everything first started. And me being who I am, I like refused to because they said the word specifically that the mask has to be on you. So I pointed out, it says on you, it doesn't say on your face. So I would put it in my back pocket and say, look, it's on me. But there was one particular day that we had people up in the office and they were saying like, everybody wear masks because we're in a meeting. So I walk into the back, I grab a spray bottle, I hold the mask and I spray it and show that a bunch of liquid goes through it. And I go, why do I have to wear a mask? Because if I sneeze, part of it's going to go through it. And everybody in the office kind of looked at me. And then after that, I noticed that everybody stopped wearing their masks as much. All it takes is just a little seed like that. And then you can start realizing how you can start making the bigger structure crumble, essentially, (laughs) and realize that that was just a placebo effect. And I have a whole other thing with, with masks, too, in the aspect that I feel like there was a lot of derogatory reasons to do it in the first place like kids having an issue with speech because they don't see somebody's mouth moving so they don't learn how to properly pronounce words and then the other 
going into a little bit darker agenda, but I'm a firm believer that the government has to make money in some way, shape, or form to fund their, their secret programs. So obviously there was a crack epidemic that happened. I believe in the 90s, it was the heroin. So now I feel like the government makes money off of trafficking children. So that being said, think about how easy it is to traffic a child when they're wearing masks. All you have to do is grab, say, like a female, for example, like a, a small female child. You put a hoodie on them, you put their hair up in a hat, you tape their mouth shut, and then you put the mask over. And you could be looking through the whole store for your kid and not be able to find your kid, and they could be right in front of you, and they can't scream or make a noise because somebody taped their mouth up. So it just kind of made this whole other idea that it's easier to move people around when you can't see half their face, and then you don't realize that their mouth's covered, you know? Yeah. Yes, it is. Why do they push so hard for kids in particular to wear them where you'll see like uh, pictures of like a classroom and the only person not wearing a mask in the classroom is the teacher. Kind of weird. Well, here in Hawaii. So this is the crazy part. The mask mandate finally ended like three weeks ago or whatever. Yet the schools are still pushing masks. The kids have to wear masks. The kids were the least, the least susceptible to um, COVID yet they are suffocating and breathing in their carbon and who knows the long-term effect of doing that anyway um it's funny because these same mask wearing people if they actually there actually could be a reason to wear a mask all the spray in the sky that would actually be a good reason to wear a mask those won't work those ones they're wearing but it's like but they're, they're i still see people walking outside with them on running up running with them on swimming in the ocean with them it's it's beyond ridiculous it's like they are seriously they they need to be put in a mental institution or something because at this point i i don't even know what the hell they're afraid of at this point i i don't i don't even know they're 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 seriously screwed up for life i believe but according to the news those are the best people and they need to try to convince people like us that we should be more like them and not question authority and conform to everything that everybody else is supposedly doing around us. <laughs> well, if those are the best people, then I'm getting the fuck out of here. Right? It's, I always like to say this concept, but you can show how virtuous you are by how many masks you're wearing. <laughs> but I guess we're running on about uh, two hours or so here, so we should probably start wrapping it up a little bit. Um, I would love to have you back on the show another time. This has been a great conversation. I feel like there's a lot of awesome information that we can get out together because we seem to bounce back and forth very well. Um, but before we leave here, I usually like to do two things. One, I like to say, uh, is there any words of wisdom that you would like to leave, leave everybody with? And then two, um, plug your information so if anybody isn't familiar with you, they can come and find you if they've enjoyed this conversation. Okay. Well. My final words of wisdom on this show today, and thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I, I'm loving making meeting the community of, of more like minds. And I'm liking all these new great podcasts that are popping up everywhere. It's really blessing uh, everybody's world. It's, it's only a good thing. But my, my words of wisdom for today anyway, is that um, you, whatever you're doing in life, you have to live an authentic life. And if it means doing something drastic, like moving to a new place or changing your whole life up, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth living your truth in this world because what else is there? If you're sitting on your, you're laying on your deathbed and thinking back about all the bullshit that you worried about and all the things that 
you decided to uh, pursue that didn't go anywhere, you would realize that living your truth was the best thing that you could have ever done. And if your truth means to live off grid, fine. If your truth means that you need to live in a city in, in the densest part, fine. It doesn't matter. But living your truth and doing what you were born to do and to be able to do it. And one thing I did in life, and this is what set me off into my truth path, which I've told on other podcasts, is I quit the system because I realized that this wasn't for me. And at the time I was doing music and I wasn't able to do it. So I quit the system. I lift off credit cards. Sounds crazy, but, and not very smart, but I was able to do what I wanted to do. And because I did that, I met an insider of the system in 1999. I went off on some crazy journeys and life's never been the same. So, you know, when you do the most authentic things that you find your path and you'll never regret it. Hey, that's where I'm at with this one too, to be honest with you. I finally feel like I found my life path and it's been great. And I appreciate everybody that listens to this show and I couldn't be doing it without you guys. But before we go, uh, drop your links and everything like that so that uh, people can find you if they, if they don't know where to find you already. Sure. So my podcast is Chant It Down. Chant It Down Radio, Chant It Down Podcast. Been around since 2013. Um, you can find 197 episodes on there. It's something I've been doing for years with a full-time job, doing the normal everyday life. Um, but I also have a, a YouTube channel, Truth Filled Trajectory, where I do very random videos about this and that. And it's the back door to chant it down. It's where some people come in through that door and find it through a whole different way. Uh, I am on Instagram at chant it down. Uh, I recently got active again on there. That's how I found you and other people too. So it is a good thing, even if it's in the, in, in the evil hands that it is. Um, and also, um, I am on telegram, but I'm not set up on there, but you can be my friend on telegram. Uh, I'm going to be doing a documentary around Egypt. I talked about that. So you'll look for that on truth filled trajectory. And I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I'm pretty much that is where you're going to find me and my work and everybody associated with it. So that's pretty much it. Saying if anybody wants that stuff, it'll be down in the bottom in the video description. Um, I really appreciate you coming on today. I feel like we've spread a lot of information that people definitely needed to hear. And I can't wait to have you back on. Everybody that's listening, I hope you had you have a great night and I hope you appreciate everything you've heard. And I guess I'll catch you on the next one. Bye, everybody. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins. And little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.